Good morning. My name is Art Cash, a member of the, the preaching team and elder pastor here. Thankful that you're here as we start Ephesians 4. Okay, we'll be in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. So as you're turning there, I've got a question for you this morning. Something for you to consider. I want you to think about a time where you received great news. Maybe not, maybe not the best news of your entire life, but awesome news. You, you, maybe it's, you got the call from uh, the people you were interviewing with and you, and you got the job. Maybe it was, it was the word yes after you proposed and she said yes. Maybe it was the call from uh, a doctor after a long illness, hearing good news. But I want you to hold in, in your mind for a second, whatever that is, the, some of the best news that you've, you've ever heard. And then I want you to ask yourself, what was, what was your response? Did your response match the good news? I can, I can guarantee you your response wasn't, wasn't apathy. It, it, let's say it wasn't the wedding. It, plans started taking place. Steps were, were made based on the good news that you'd received, talking to the bridesmaids, talking to the groomsmen, making the plans. There was a response that matched the news. We're going to see that this morning in our passage. The, the main point's going to, going to come out at us because we're going to see the good news that Christ is the one who called us. He's the one who called us, and we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Our response to that good news can match because of how good it is. Christ is the one who saved us and empowers us so we can live our lives in a way that lines up with that truth. Now, for me, there's already attention when I hear that. There's, there's times where I'm asking, how, how, do I, how do I do this? Sure, the, the news is great, but how do I live this Christian life? Seems like sometimes I'm going backwards, round in circles. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. We're going to see answers in today's passage. But we need to have settled in our minds that Jesus not only has the power to save us, but it's Jesus who right now empowers us to live the life that matches the call. So let me read Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. And again, we'll be concentrating on 1 through 3. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Father, help us this morning. Help us to, to see what's true from, from your word, to see the, the goodness of the good news the truths, and to live in light of those by the power of your Spirit. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So you'll see how the, the passage breaks out here. We're going to spend a little bit of time making the connection. 
between the first half of Ephesians and the second. Then we're going to take a look at what it looks like. What is this worthy walk? How do we do it? Why do we do it? And then what it looks like with unity, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with each other in love. So if you're sitting here this morning, congratulations. You've made it through the first half of Ephesians, okay? You made it. You're, you're here. I hope that you've been strengthened in your faith. I hope that you've been encouraged by, by these truths and, and these doctrines that we've, we've soaked in over the last few months. So as we reach chapter 4, it makes sense then, kind of look at the big picture of, of where we've been and where we're going. We've been dialing in and getting very specific on truths, and that's good and right, but it's also good to see where we are and where we're going. So the hinge here is in four one, chapter 4, verse 1, with the word, therefore. Okay, You'll see up here on the screen, if anybody is, is familiar with the, the Bible project uh, for... If you're growth group leaders, it could be a good time to break out this eight-minute video the next time you meet. Say, hey, this is, this is where we are in Ephesians. The way they describe it is the first half being the gospel story, second half being our story, hinging on the word, therefore. You can put up the, the pictures here. Again, you don't have to don't take notes. You don't even have to take pictures. Again, Patrick's going to post the PowerPoint, okay? So you can go online and download that if you would like to. I just want you to see it visually, how it's connected the first three with the second three with the word therefore, what we'll call the indicatives, the truths, and the imperatives. All right, you can take it to the next slide. I'm doubling down here. I got some feedback in the last sermon about the busyness of of the slides and the small font. I'm obviously hard-headed, okay? I'm not asking you to write all this down. I just want you to see it. You saw the pictures. I want you to see the words. Here are the truths on the left side that we've been soaking in baking in, swimming in, all right, for the last few months, and now we're going forward into the imperatives, into what it looks like to walk this out. And, and what I want us to see today, we're going to talk about the, the equal weight, but what I, I, I've got to get us to, to see is it's always going to be the indicative first. It's always going to be the truth, all of this truth that leads to a life that's worthy of the walk. Now, if your OCD is kicking in, it's about 30 indicatives on the left and about 36 imperatives on the right, depending on, on how you count, if you've got to make a note on that. All right, but I want us to see it. The truth is always connected to action in Scripture. Faith is always going to lead to fruit. But how? Okay, when, when we take a look back at verse 1, we'll begin to answer how. You can see it, and it's overwhelming. How do we do it? For one, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So Paul's a prisoner here. He's a prisoner for the Lord. Here's somebody that not only has apostolic authority, he has divine revelation, and he's walking the walk all the way to prison. He's not just giving us this in theory. He's suffering for the truth and the actions that followed. He has credibility. So he commands our attention. He's urging us. That word is strong. It's not please, if you'd like to, let's try. He's, he's urging. He's imploring. He's begging us 
to live a life worthy of the call. So again, the pressure, how do we do it? Brothers and sisters, first we need to know what the call is. I love this question from from James Boyce. How can a person be urged to live a life worthy of his calling if he's not begun to understand what his call is? So at the end of chapter 3, Paul's praying for the Father to glorify himself through the church. Do you know what church means? It literally means called out ones. Church does not mean here's the building, all right? Here's the people in the steeple, okay, that thing. It's not that. It's not, here's the building, River Oaks, that sometimes leaks when it rains, and we're praying like, man, I hope it doesn't fall on anybody that's visiting or fall on Mark because he'll, he'll let us know about it. That's, that's not the meaning of the word church. It's called out ones. You've been called out. If you are a believer, this is your identity now and forever. Do you believe that this morning? You have been called out together. You've been called before time in love, chosen, adopted, forgiven, redeemed, united to Christ, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is true for you. It cannot change. You've had your heart and eyes open to see the hope to which he's called you. Chapter 1, verse 18. You've been called from death to life, from wrath to mercy by grace. You were once far off. He's called you near by the blood of Christ. He's drawn you to himself. You've been called from hostility to peace. You've been given a new name. I don't know what your last name is, but your name now is Christian. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's no longer us and them. You're united in Christ. You are a new people. You've been called to comprehend the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's beyond all that we could hope or think or ask. The call tells you who you are, that you've been filled with the fullness of God. The order here is critical. I'm going to keep coming back to this. We've got to hit the truth. We've got to soak in the truth. Here's what Christ has done in the call, the indicative. Here's what we are to do in light of it, the command, the imperative. The progression is so important because the world and our hearts tell us the opposite. Even when we look at this passage, look, look. So, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, full stop. I hit the word worthy. And I'm thinking, what? it it sends me down the rabbit hole. If you don't struggle with your worth, cool. Hang out for a minute and listen to me preach to myself, okay? Because I see the word worthy. How can I live up to what to worthy? Who who even is worthy? If I'm honest, the the, the indicatives, they, they fire me up. It's uh, as you can tell, I mean, it's like the, it's like the best pregame football speech of all time. And, you, and you're hearing it, and you're like, yes, we can take this out there to, to the field. And so often what I end up seeing in my own life is I, as I'm running out there, it's, it's a paper sign that the cheerleaders hold up, and I'm the third stringer that trips through it, okay? So, yeah, yeah worthy. Uh, it's, it's a weight at the end of Saving Private Ryan. I love that movie. I hate the ending. Captain Miller, as, he, as he's laying there against the tank, dying, staring into Private Ryan's eyes and saying, 
earn this. Earn this sacrifice. And then you flash forward 50 years to where he's standing in front of his grave and he's begging his wife to tell him, tell me I was good enough. Tell me I'm good. He's asking about his worth. Or the, or the end of the voyage of the Dawn Treader, not the book, the movie. They butchered the movie. You've got poor Reepicheep there who all he's wanted to do is get to the land of Aslan. And he says to Aslan, finally at the end, in the movie, not the book, Am I worthy? And Aslan responds, my land was made for noble hearts like yours. No, no, come on. That's, that's not it. Hollywood almost always gets grace wrong because it's counterintuitive. We're wired to earn. This is where we must ground the truths of what God has done for us before our responses of obedience. The truth is no one's worthy. No one is noble. He makes our wicked hearts noble because of his nobility. Jesus Christ is the one who's worthy. So he then declares you worthy. That's the truth. So we act and obey and live in light of that. Not to earn it. Because we've already been given it. There's freedom there. There's freedom if we can, if we can see it. You can stop trying to measure your own value and your own ability okay, against something that you've already been given in Christ. So then you can start to live in light of it. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 7, the same grace that saved you, the truth, the indicatives, is the same grace that will empower your walk. So when we know who we are in Christ, what he's done for us in the call, we can begin to see how we are to walk in a manner worthy. How? So we give equal weight to the call and the calling. We can, we can match our lives to the call. The beauty here is that this is done by the Spirit. The beauty here is the word worthy actually means of equal weight. So just as we're figuring out how our walk should look in light of the call, what we can't do is kind of hedge our bets. We, we can't, the response that off, that's off the table is, is, is apathy. I, I used to, probably talked at length too much about my awkward introversion, but here we go. So I used to do this thing called the low wave, okay? So I see Ben back there, but if, I, if I'm not sure that it's, that it's Ben or if he sees me or I'm not sure if I see him or if that's who I think it is, I just kind of, Give the, the low wave. So that way, if it's not Ben, or he's not seen me, no problem. I wasn't really waving. <laughs> low wave. Just, just try it sometime. Motorcycle, you've got it down, right? It low, nope, fine. Low wave. <laughs> wasn't really waving anyway, Ben. Okay. The response here, that's, that's that lack of certainty. It's tepid. I'm, I'm not sure. That kind of dip your toe in response does not reflect the calling to which you've been called. You can be sure there's no response too extreme or too over the top to match this call. So see the relationship. The higher your view of the truth, the higher your view of the call, the more you want to live a life that reflects that. 
because you see how awesome it is. Oz Guinness, he, he describes our calling and our response like this. Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamically lived out as a response to his calling and serving us. Do you see the indicative that feeds the imperative? He served us, so we get to live in light of that. Tepid response is off the table. According to the word worthy, we want our response to match the call. That means our doctrine should match our practice. Faith leads to fruit. So you ask yourself the question this morning, do you give equal weight to the indicative, the call, and the imperative, the calling? Asked another way, are you as serious about the commands as you are the truth in which you love to soak? Thank God for his word. He, he knows our hearts. He knows how, how quickly we can emphasize one or the other. I don't want us to, to think in, in terms of, of balance here. It's, the Christian life is not this tiptoe, tight wire, uh, I hope I don't fall over into imperative or I hope I don't fall over into indicative. Uh, it, this balance of stay on the rope, the Christian life is 100% in the truth and 100% in what we do in light of the truth. It's already been done for us, so we're free to strive, to go, and to do in the power of the Spirit. Two dangers here if we're emphasizing one over the other. Crushed by the command, we're using truth as an excuse for laziness. So let's say that your strength is, and I, I got it. I, I mean, they, they preach the gospel every Sunday. We talk about it in, in growth group. I, I read it. I've got the truth. I'm good. Okay, I got, I got the Jesus thing. Just tell me what to do. Tell me how to live. How do I get more holy? How do I have a, a better relationship with my friends, with my spouse? How do I grow? Hey, but where you're strong, others might be weak. Let's say that you have a friend who struggles with belief. She's having doubts about her faith, and every time she sins, you kind of roll your eyes. You're like, all right, she doesn't have this true thing, and she just spirals. But she comes to you for encouragement, and you're getting tired of her just not getting it. Why don't you just believe if your faith was a little bit stronger, you wouldn't struggle here? So you bust out with the listen. You need to work out your faith with fear and trembling. You need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And do you know what you just did to her? Well, one, you just Philippians 2.12 to her, 2.12b, the second half. You just, you just heaped law onto her. What does, she, what does she need? She needs the rest of the story. She needs the rest of the passage. She needs Philippians 2.13. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The sister needed the truth. She needed to be reminded of the call before more of the calling was heaped on her. That's where some of us find ourselves this morning. We need to be reminded of what's true especially when we're feeling weak. The truth is then you're not crushed by the command because of the truth of what Jesus has done for you. But the other side, truth is an excuse. 
can overemphasize in the other direction. And we need to be honest, that's a danger in a church like ours. We need to see it. We love the truth. We love doctrine. We don't shy away from hard and glorious truths, but we can't stay there. Paul, Paul didn't write the first three of chapters of Ephesians and say, okay, I need you to just hole up, do some word studies, memorize all the different ways that, that these words could possibly be used or, or mean. That's not what happens. The life worthy of the calling means that we don't just settle for knowledge about humility and gentleness and patience and bearing in love with one another. But we actively seek to do those things by the Spirit. Walking implies action by its very nature, not passivity. So is it right when you fail and when you sin to remind yourself of what's true? Yes, yes and yes, absolutely. But what we can't do is use the truth and use doctrine as an excuse to not walk, to not act. Galatians 5, you've been set free. The freedom that you've been given, brothers, is not for your flesh. It's to serve one another in love. You've been created in Christ for good works. I mean, we think back to our football player who's, who's tripping through the sign, I know it. You do it. I do it. But that, the pregame speech, the indicatives, the truths, how fired up we are, it's not to go and sit on the bench. You're not scared to obey fully because he's fully obeyed on your behalf. So listen, I, I know some of you may be thinking, all right, indicative, imperative, all right, this is kind of technical, I'm, I'm tired of this. Isn't this something that theologians and, and preachers kind of quibble about? Well, you know what tonight is, right? I mean, it's, it's a chili cook-off, that's why this is up here. Okay, there's, there's, a, there's a reason, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm asking Heather, I got it, okay, we we need to go with indicative imperachili. He's like, nope. <laughs> nope. I'm like, how about double impuchili? <laughs> nope. She, she wanted no part of that. Because you knew if that's sitting out there, it's either mine or it's the sterics. All right, double impuchili. She's having none of it because she's smart. She realized that's only funny to the preacher guys, a preacher joke. Okay? So I don't, I don't care if, if you can't recall the terms indicative and imperative. It's okay. But the concept... It's absolutely critical that you see the truth of your call empowers you walking out your calling. And this, just, this isn't just, just Paul, right? I mean, go back to Exodus 20. I'm your God. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Truth, now have no other gods before me. John 15, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You can't do anything apart from me. Indicative. Then he says, all right, I have a new command for you. I want you to love others like I've loved you. Okay, so it's not just Paul. It's all over Scripture. You're walking out your calling in a way that's not crushed by the commands, and you're not using the truth as an excuse for disobedience. The truth is it's been done. Now we get to do how, why, here we have it. So then we turn to the specifics of what this looks like in two and three. What, what does a worthy walk look like? 
with all humility and gentleness. Here's the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So you're going to see as we get into to four that this walk that's worthy of the calling breaks out into two big sections. 1 through 16, unity. The rest of the chapter, 17 through 32, looks like purity. No longer walking as the Gentiles walk. But specifically right here, it's eager to maintain unity. Verse 4, we see more about it. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. The detail of humility and gentleness and patience. Well, how do we do it? The first half of the sermon was, was telling us how we do it, okay? So we go to what's true. Where we start is we go to what's true. Look at verse 3. There's a, there's a sneaky indicative there. There's a truth that's kind of hiding a little bit. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If we're maintaining it, it's already there. We're not creating it. We've been given the unity of the Holy Spirit. We know from just a few verses ago, it's the power of the Holy Spirit who strengthens us to believe that we're united to Christ in our hearts, rooted and grounded in his love. We know from the truth of Ephesians 2.13, the blood of Christ has brought us near. Verse 14 of chapter 2, he is our peace, both with God and with each other. So out of our high call, you are in union with Christ. We can live the calling in union with each other. The indicative fuels the imperative. So where does Paul start? Of course, he starts with humility. He always seems to start with humility. Why, Paul? It's so hard. Christ humbled himself in the incarnation. When he comes from glory and puts on flesh, there's a reason MacArthur calls that the ultimate humiliation. He humbled himself to serve, not to be served. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. The indicative fuels the imperative. You could summarize the truth about Christ leading to our obedience this way. He died for our selfish pride so that we might live to righteous humility. So ask yourself, what are you, what are you proud of? Maybe not openly, but secretly. Certainly on Sunday morning, you're not walking around going, hey... I am openly proud of my useless movie trivia knowledge. Right? You're not walking around advertising necessarily what you're proud of, but what, down, down low, maybe that, that, that pokes its head out on Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning. What, what are you proud of? Is it your intelligence? Your job? Your children? Your strength? Your doctrine? Paul, Paul, he cuts us to the quick here. What do you have that you didn't receive? 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? It's not wrong to be excited by or to celebrate strengths, but those blessings should prompt you to, be, to have gratitude towards the one who gave them to you. There were gifts given to you. We say this a lot, and I hope it sticks. 
But humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. I would add, as you seek to think more of others. Count others more significant than yourself, Philippians 2, 3. Brian Chapel tells this story of a tribe where they decide who's going to be the chief by who is the strongest person in the tribe. Okay? And once they figure that out, he gets this amazing, gorgeous headdress. So wherever he's walking around in the tribe, you know there's the chief. There he goes. Okay? So they have this well, deep. It's the only way they can get water is to climb down into it in steps that are carved into the side. One day, man from the tribe carrying up the water, the buckets, falls and breaks both of his legs. So the people up top, what do they do? They immediately run and get the chief. Why? Because he's the strongest. And what does he do? He takes off his headdress and he sets it to the side and he climbs down into the pit, into the mud, and he puts the man on his back and carries him out. And I love that picture of humility. The highest call of unity will start in the lowest and muckiest and dirtiest places as we seek to come underneath one another in our love for each other and carry each other up. Not where we use our strengths to hold each other down, but where we have the grace and our strengths to carry each other up out of the muck and the mud. That is humility. Gentleness. In the old translations, they call it meekness. Words kind of call them falling out of favor because it sounds weak. It's not. It's strength under control. The truth is no one was more gentle than Jesus. If you've been going through good and angry, we, we talked about this at length. We know Jesus cleared the temple. We know he pulled no punches with the Pharisees. But the wrath of Christ was always precise and never out of control. Think about the the holy God who created you and all things, puts on flesh, sets foot on this planet that is sinful and rebellious. Every step that he took, every breath that he was breathing in and out was gentleness. It was restraint. He could have rightly destroyed us because of our sin, but he had a higher purpose, and that purpose was redemption. That purpose was to take your lack of gentleness, was to take your harsh criticism, was to take your seething anger, your bitter complaining, and redeem you. He died for that sin so that you might live to be righteously gentle. Patience, think back to when Paul describes himself as as the leaster. His words, not mine, the least of the saints, the lowest of the saints. He says it again in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says that Jesus came in the world to save the chief of sinners. He's the chief. The very next verse surprises me. He says that Jesus came. He showed mercy to the chief of sinners so that Christ might show not his grace, not his peace, not his love, but his patience. You see how patience fits with unity? What do we most want when we sin? I want forgiveness. (laughs) 
I need God's patience. I need his patience. I need him to continue in his mercy, forgiving me and empowering me. Thankfully from God, we get both patience and forgiveness. But a question we have to ask is, what if he was as dismissive with us as we are with others when they don't live up to our expectations? Patience literally means long-tempered, long-souled. So what brings this fruit out, this virtue out, better than other people? Again, you are the called-out ones. This is meant to be lived together in community. I'm so thankful that Paul describes this whole piece of the Christian life as a walk and our growth as fruit. You know why? Because they're slow. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for using Paul to describe our Christian lives as a walk and our growth as fruit. It's methodical. Yes, we are active. At the same time, our walk is slow. It's also meant to be together. Brothers and sisters, we're doing it wrong if we're spending our time looking for these huge personal breakthroughs in holiness or dramatic change in obedience alone. We miss the incremental but inevitable growth that's meant to be happening as the called out ones, as the church. It looks like the gentle response to a brother who was harsh, a mom humbly serving her child who cannot do anything to return that, the patient heart with a man who's just starting out on his walk and he's falling over and over and over, but but God has given you his spirit to be patient with him. We think these acts are small and they may not even matter. Does anybody even see? Does anybody even know? Brothers and sisters, this is the actual plan and purpose of God to bring glory to himself. End of Ephesians 3. He will be glorified forever through the church, through these small but eternally significant acts of faith and obedience. He brings glory to himself when we are eager to maintain unity as we bear with one another in love. So I want to close with this thought, and I, I know, just hang with me, as soon as somebody up here says I want to close, like about 12 to 33% of my mind kind of shuts down, like I'm grabbing my Bible, thinking about i got to grab the kids, it's today, the Daytona 500, you know, whatever. Like thinking through a lot of different things, I don't even know. So, Stay with me through this, okay, because this is, this is critical. I, I think sometimes we look at our obedience after the indicative. We look at the imperative after the indicative, and we go, yeah, quid pro quo. That's what I'm supposed to do. The, all right, this was done for me, so I have to do this for you. Brothers and sisters, that's not it. If you've been drinking your whole life from sewage, and all of a sudden you get a taste of fresh, clear water. Is it a burden to keep drinking that fresh, clear water? By no means. It's a joy. The actual drinking of the, the water of life, living water, it's a joy. It's a blessing. Brothers and sisters, this is how we are blessed in our obedience. As you obey, as you live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called, you are actually becoming the truest version of yourself. 
You were becoming exactly who you were designed to be. You weren't designed to be selfish. You weren't designed to be impatient. You weren't designed to be full of hate. You were designed to look like Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. When you obey the Lord, I think we have this, this concept like when I, when I come to the Lord and it's time for the commands, all right, I've got this thing out. I'm, I'm giving up so much. That's not it. You, you aren't giving up your freedom or your pleasure. You're walking away from slavery into pleasures evermore. That is the call to which you've been called. Some of the best news that we might hear is this. We can be sure that he who began this good work in you will bring it and you to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glorious truths that we find in your word. Father, we thank you for the way that you've set up the Christian life, that that as we walk it out by your spirit, we fall and we walk. We crawl and we walk and we stand and we walk. And it's all by your spirit. Father, I thank you for the way that you've designed our Christian walk, that it's meant to be in community. Father, thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ who, as we even heard from, from Josh this morning, that when, when he didn't have the strength, he had brothers and sisters to come under him, around him, and encourage him to be strong when, when he was weak. That's true for all of us. Father, we thank you most specifically for the fact that that all of us were were weak. All of us were ungodly. All of us were unworthy. And you sent your son who at the right time died for the ungodly, who died and gives us his righteousness so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. Help us see it, Father, by your spirit. Empower our belief of what's true and empower our response to those truths, please. In Jesus' name, amen.